0: Welcome to The Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope to the people of East London. And I'm praying that you would feel so encouraged by this week's talk. All right, before we dive in tonight, I want to do a quick survey. Uh, we've been here for these past few days at Renaissance. And we've been exploring the dynamics or the intersection of creativity and spirituality. And, and, and so most of you are either attracted to the creative space or you live your lives in a creative space or you identify yourselves as creatives. But I want to take a quick survey and I'm going to need you to sort of put aside your British humility and just tell me what you really think, otherwise the survey will not work properly. I wonder how many of you, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hands, would Identify yourself as a creative genius. Now, not as a creative or a creative wannabe or a creative lover or a creative activist, but a creative genius. You'd say, yeah, if I had to evaluate myself in the contrast to other creative geniuses, I would say I'm a creative genius. So if that would be you, I just need to be honest in this moment. Just raise your hand really high and say, yes, I am a creative genius. Okay, I have four now, five, most of them in the back. I don't know what that says about creative geniuses, but, and and did you feel mildly awkward raising your hand? Now, whoever's sitting next to you may disagree with you because they know you better, but I I think it's amazing. In the room that has a natural filter for creativity, we have four people, maybe five, maybe six because you didn't raise your hand, that would say, I am a creative genius, so let me try something else that might help us identify ourselves better. How many of you would say that you are a linguistic savant? If you're not sure what a savant is, don't worry about the last question, okay? (laughs) How many would say, "I'm I'm a linguistic savant? Raise your hand. Okay, it's, it's a little smoky in here, so I cannot see your hands. Linguistic savants, identify yourselves. I see one way, way in the back. I, I, and this is interesting because we had fewer people respond to being a linguistic savant than being a creative genius. And, and I, I would have imagined in some ways that more of you would have identified yourselves as creative geniuses in this environment, but, but the truth is you have more data that proves that you're a linguistic savant than perhaps that you're a creative genius. How many of you here in this room, I want to give you a huge win here, speak English? Raise your hand, come on, go ahead, humor me. All right, how many of you speak two languages? Raise your hand. That's quite a few of you. You're called immigrants. All right, how many of you speak three languages? Raise your hand, wow. How many of you speak four languages? Raise your hand. We still have had hands coming up. How many of you speak five languages? Raise your hand, wow, okay. The one person who said they were a linguistic savant hasn't raised their hand at all. So how many languages do you speak? You don't want to answer now. You don't even speak one. You're down to zero. (laughs) Two? But you raised your hand, and she did not. And she speaks five. Now here is what I want you to realize. All of you who only speak one language, you're not that different than a lot of people in the United States. Because it seems that people who speak English first rarely take on the opportunity to speak a second language. Because they recognize that I only need to speak English, the rest of the world needs to learn how to speak my language. But the rest of the world feels at a huge disadvantage if they're going to be international, if they're going to compete on a global scale, they have to learn English plus their native language. But here's the crazy thing, even those of you who only speak English, how old were you when you learned English? You learned English when you were two years old. You learned one of the most complex languages in the world before you could fully walk, before you could actually poop in a toilet, before you could get a job, before you were actually productive and useful to society. You were learning how to speak one of the most complex languages in the world as an infant because when you were two, you were a linguistic savant. And if they had moved you to Japan, you would have spoken Japanese like a genius. If they had moved you to the Philippines, you would have spoken Tagalog like a genius. If if they had moved you to Mexico, you would have spoken Mexican. I'm joking. Spanish like a genius. Because at the age of two, your brain did not know that you were not good at languages. All your brain knew was that it could adapt to any environment necessary. Now in the same way that your brain adapted, eventually you convinced your brain you do not need that aspect of genius. You convinced your brain, I only need one language to survive or thrive. And eventually what you chose as a minimal expression of you became your perception of your capacity. Is it possible that every human being who has ever taken a breath on this earth was inherently created a linguistic savant with all the ingredients necessary to learn as many languages as necessary? And in the same way, every human being was born with all the inherent capacity to be a creative genius. Because in the same way your brain eventually extricated those dynamic ingredients that allowed you to learn languages, it extricated the part of you that was most creative and most unique. There was a man named George Land who in 1968 was hired by NASA to do a study or to create an assessment so they could hire geniuses to work on the space program. And so George Lyon put together what was a genius test to identify genius level thinking. And it became a creativity test in many ways. And one of the strange things he discovered in a longitudinal study following children for over a decade was that, at the age of five when they tested children to see if they had the ingredients of genius, 98% of children tested out as geniuses. They followed those same children five years later at the age of 10 and discovered that only 30% of them still tested out as geniuses. They followed the same children another five years to the age of 15 and discovered that only 12% of them still tested out as geniuses. And then they studied 280,000 adults average age 31 and they found that only 2% of adults test out as geniuses. So what they discovered was not what makes a genius, but what steals our genius. Genius is not something that has to be nurtured or placed in a person. Genius naturally exists within every person and has to be protected. So I began to ask the question, is it possible that there is inherent genius in every person? And that's a part of what has been lost when we were separated from our relationship with God. Is it possible that part of what Jesus came to do in us was to restore in us an extraordinary expression of being human. Now, I want you to listen to a few passages of scriptures, and I want you to hear them from a different mindset. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It tells us to not be conformed to the patterns of this world. That There is a pattern that we naturally seem to take on. It says, and this pattern actually conforms us. It limits us, it shapes us, it clones us. It makes us more the same. It makes us more common than uncommon. And, and by the way, one of the characteristics of, of genius is the ability to identify patterns. And so when you see patterns, and you see them more rapidly than other people, and you see patterns that are imperceivable to other people, you're then identified as a genius. Now, of course, the problem is that there's a fine line between genius and psychosis because when you start seeing patterns that are not there, then you're just crazy. But a part of what you teach your children is to see patterns, and to recognize them more quickly. And in the scriptures, God is actually instructing us, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. You need to be aware of the patterns that you are unaware of how they shape you, how they make you less. But be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Now, so there, so a part of the transformation process that God takes us through is that something happens in our minds. Now, I have to tell you, I, I feel like we've been incredibly underwhelming and understanding what it means to have a renewed mind because most of the time when we talk about having a renewed mind it's usually about moral issues now I'm not saying morality isn't important but it's not everything because most moral decisions do not require higher level thinking they just require a little less than stupidity I remember once I flew into New York years ago and I got picked up in a car by three really well-known pastors young pastors and we're in the car and they asked me a question that I thought was kind of surprising to ask me. They said, Erwin, can we ask you a question? I said, sure. And they said, is it a sin to smoke? That really, I flew from LA to be asked this question. This is the question. There's the burning issue inside of your soul. And they said, is it a sin to smoke? And I paused for a moment and I said, does everything have to be a sin? Can some things just be stupid? And it got real quiet in the car because I didn't even consider the fact that all three of them were addicted to nicotine and had in their own minds justified this addiction, but they didn't want it to be sin, so they were hoping it wasn't. And I'm going, everything in life isn't sin. Some things are just self-destructive. They're just not the best choice for your life. But we always seem to put renewing our minds around the most basic behavior. And listen, this is, this is so central to the, to the imaging of Paul in Colossians 3, verses one and two. Listen to what it says. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Then he says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. He's telling us, we need to elevate our thinking. We need to somehow, move to a different frequency of thought that actually connects with the mind of God. I don't know why we think God's always thinking about all the things we're doing wrong. I don't think that's what's on God's mind all the time. I think actually God is thinking about your extraordinary capacity, the potential you're created with, the talent, intelligence. The uniqueness, the complexity that is inside of you. I think God spends most of His time thinking about how do I get the best version of you out into the world and get you thinking at a higher level. I, I remember—I uh, don't know—it was maybe a decade ago. Could have been longer than that. Aaron and I were in New York with my wife Kim, daughter Mariah, and we were in a section of, of New York. I think it was Westchester and Aaron and I decided we were going to go back into the city for a specific reason and and when I got to the train station I realized I had left my wallet and Aaron said I got you I've got my wallet he said dad let me take care of you Said, great this is awesome so we got on the train we drove into the city Aaron took care of it we got a taxi and then we got out of the taxi near the train station realized we're in the wrong place and Aaron when the taxi drove off looked as if his life had ended. He said, Dad, I left my wallet in the taxi. So now it was midnight in New York City. We had to get across the city. Neither one of us had anything. No way of contacting people in that moment. No way of, of using getting money No way of accessing cash, no way of paying a credit card. And we had walked through New York for over an hour. And the entire time we're walking, he's just so mad at himself. I can't believe I had one job to get us to where you had to go. And I didn't, I blew it. I left my wallet in, in the taxi, he was so upset. And, and I said, okay, buddy, I need you to think about how to solve this problem. Well, what are you talking about? I just... I need you to think, okay, we're trapped in New York. One day you might be trapped in some city in the world and you have no one to help you. How are you gonna solve that problem? I don't really wanna do that right now, Dad. I'm just really mad. And, and I said, no, right now, Aaron, you are activating your reptilian brain. He what? You know, the, the, the part of your brain that makes you more like a reptile. You're, you're angry, you're defensive, you're, you're, you're limiting your thinking. And so you're, you're thinking like a lizard. What are you talking about? I so I need you to get out of that fear state. Move out of your reptilian brain and open up the part of your brain that unleashes your imagination, your creativity, that opens up all the possibilities, all the potential. Get out of your lizard brain. He goes, are you making this up? I go, no, it's a real thing. He goes, because I'm going to coach you, and if this isn't real, it's going to look really bad for both of us. And, and what I know about us as human beings is that when we're under stress, when we're full of fear, when we're gripped by doubt, when, when we're paralyzed by a moment, we move toward our worst thinking. We move toward our lowest level of thinking. And here the scriptures are telling us that we have an elevated possibility, an elevated opportunity that we can actually move to a higher level of thinking and have the mind of Christ. Now, during the pandemic, I wrote a book called The Genius of Jesus, and I had a very strange response. People who did not believe in Jesus were not attracted to the book because it had Jesus' name on it. And people who did believe in Jesus were not attracted to it because it had the phrase genius on it. And I had people actually sending me notes through social media. Don't you just love social media? And they were saying, Jesus is not a genius, he is God. I don't know why, that just seemed to me so odd. He can't be both? Like could Jesus, Jesus wasn't kind, he was God. I think he was both. Jesus wasn't compassionate, he was God. See, we never divide that in any other way, but somehow genius, seem to almost like steal away from God's glory, because to say Jesus is a genius is to diminish his divinity. I'm going, no. See, by the way, if there's any genius inside of any human being, it's only a small reflection of the genius of God. But if God is a genius, and I say that rhetorically, see, all expressions of human genius are just a drop of the genius of God. They're like glimpses into the genius of the divine mind. And here God is making available to us his genius. You can have the mind of Christ. In fact, he's telling us, don't think about lowly things. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. This is where the mind of Christ is available to you. In 1 Corinthians two sixteen. 16, he says this, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Let that sink in just for a minute. If someone said to you, you could have the mind of Einstein. Would you say, oh, it's okay, I'm good. I'm good with like, my mind. Or you could have the, the mind of Hawking's. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not really interested in physics. The universe intelligence if someone came to you and said you could have transferred into your soul the genius of picasso what would your response be the genius of mozart the genius of 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 steve jobs or elon musk would you say oh no i'm good and in fact what is odd to me is that all of those individuals pale in comparison to the genius of Jesus. It's most of us are willing to live our lives, living at our frequency of thinking, rather than accepting this invitation from God to have the mind of Christ. I think we're leaving a lot of genius on the table. And I think what God is trying to do is restore in us his image and likeness. You were designed for genius. You are designed to live at a frequency that lives in harmony with the mind of God. So I started wondering, well, are there like shadows of this anywhere in the scriptures? And in Genesis chapter 2, I, I, I love this passage in verses 19 and 20, it says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals for Adam. But for Adam, there's no suitable helper to be found. Now in this moment, this is before Eve, but God gave Adam an assignment to name every animal. And I don't know if you, how many, anybody have more than like two kids? or three kids, or four kids. It starts getting harder and harder to name your kid, doesn't it? I mean, we, we had two children that we named, and that was, it, it was monumental. We had baby name books. We couldn't even be so original that we just couldn't think. I mean, I, I was trying to make up names, but my wife's like, I'm not for that. And so we had to look through all the books of names what are the favorite names what the names mean and and we picked names that that we liked but we had heard before we would learned from someone else adam didn't have a baby book he didn't have an animal book he didn't have a book that said platypus armadillo octopus i mean it's kind of amazing to me that adam had enough creativity within his creative genius to name every animal and never run out of a name. Python, condor, hawk, eagle. I mean, maybe after a while he was getting sort of exhausted and running out of some juices, but it's like cat, bat, rat. (laughs) And not only could he generate enough creativity to name every animal, but he could remember the name of every animal after he named them. That would be almost more complicated, wouldn't it? How many of you know any phone number besides yours? Some, there's still some of you. How many of you, after you got your iPhone, started forgetting every number you once knew? See, there was a time where I knew every single phone number for every important person in my life. And it's because I lived before the iPhone. I lived when there was the telephone booth. I lived when there was a place for Superman to change. And I had to remember all those numbers and it was easy. And then when I had my first Blackberry, my first iPhone, started putting all those numbers in. Do you know that the only number I know by memory is mine. I don't even know Aaron's number. I do not know my wife's Kim's number. I do not know my home number. I don't know if we have a home number. I don't know my, my daughter Mariah's number. I don't know Mosaic's number. I don't know any number except the number that I have because I have to put it in. I have to input it to give people information that was necessary to help me get things done. We forget everything we do not need. See, people think they have a bad memory. You do not have a bad memory. You have a memory that hasn't been badly treated. So you don't have the ability to access it anymore. Adam could name every animal, endless creativity, and remember every name, endless intellect. And now we're down to us. Is it possible that God designed us with unlimited capacity that we have simply forgotten, ignored, or overlooked? This has really no significance or importance in the long run, but but the Bible does say that God placed Adam and Eve over all creation. The Bible says that, that God told humanity that you were to have dominion and authority and responsibility for Everything that walks on the earth and everything that swims in the ocean and everything that flies in the air. But how can you have dominion over creatures who inhabit a space that we are too limited to oversee? I mean, I can understand how we could have dominion over everything that walks on the earth because we walk on the earth. But how are we supposed to have dominion over the animals of the ocean when we can't even dive deep enough to know what's there? And we can't fly, and so we can't have dominion over everything that flies in the air. Is God giving us an unfair responsibility because he didn't give us the capacity to oversee them? I just have to wonder to myself, because where does our mythologies come from of, of Namor and Aquaman and Atlantis? And where do our mythologies come from of Superman and... And is it possible that human capacity before the fall was at a completely different level than we suspect it is? I just want to throw that out because sometimes we make so many assumptions about what it means to be human that we need to press into it and go, maybe there's more. But at the very least, there's this. In Luke 24, 45, after Jesus was crucified, rose from the dead, he's walking down a road called Emmaus, and He's walking with some guys who do not recognize him, which I think is kind of amazing, because Jesus would not allow himself, in a sense, to be revealed by them. And then when they're coming to the end of their journey, it says Jesus acted like he was going to keep on going, but he really wasn't. So we also know that Jesus was a thespian. And so he was acting like he was going, they go, wait, stay with us. He goes, okay, I'll stay. And then it says this in verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Then he opened their minds. Has it ever occurred to you that God wants to open your mind and that it's not a one-time process? He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. See, sometimes you do everything you can to convince someone they're loved, to convince someone that they're worthy of love and they just can't receive it. It's almost as if God has to open their minds to see that they have value in the mind of God. See, there's some people who come to the end of themselves and they they decide the only way out is to end their own lives because they cannot see a future and God has to open their minds to see that there's hope. And sometimes what God does is he uses you, he uses me, he uses us as people to open the minds of other people to see the possibility of what life could be like. And When you elevate, when you allow God to give you the mind of Christ, when you allow his genius to begin to infuse into your life, when you begin to see life different, let me tell you, it takes a genius to always see hope. It's easy to see despair. It takes a genius to always find the light. It's easy to see the darkness. It takes a genius to actually find faith when the world is full of so much doubt. Doubt is easy. Faith takes a genius. It takes a genius to find joy in the midst of sorrow. It takes genius to find life in the midst of death and peace in the midst of violence. And you may be underestimating how much of God's genius you have been activating and utilizing every single day of your life. Because you just thought it was normal, but it's not. I was at another conference called Renaissance up in Carmel. I've been a part of the TED community for like 20 years, but every once in a while someone will will find me and say, hey, there's a different conference like TED. It's more nuanced. It has a different population of people. And so this conference called Renaissance up in Carmel, it was like the, the hippie geniuses that all came together, the Birkenstock geniuses. And, and they were still billionaires, but they just wore sandals. And, and, and I was invited to come and be a part of this group, and I took my wife, Kim, I said, it's Carmel, let's go, enjoy, let's just enjoy the beauty, go to this event, see what may happen. And frankly, for me, it was incredibly refreshing to think, no one's going to know who I am, because this group has no idea. So we get there, and there's this cappuccino bar. So we get in line to go get a cappuccino, because it was there and, and as we're in line somebody behind me said excuse me um, are you Erwin McManus and when they said that I just had this hot feeling all over me and I, I said you know it's possible and I said you're Erwin McManus who writes books and I said yeah 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 and I said you actually believe in God well I, I do. So, okay, then I have a question for you. Oh, great. I just want to get coffee. And they said, Do you really believe that God made the sun stand still? Said, this is my first five minutes at this event, and I'm getting asked this question. So I, I take a deep breath to think how I'm going to respond, and then someone yells, Wait! Don't answer that question. We want to come over and hear how you're going to answer. And suddenly, right at that cappuccino bar, there is a, a crowd of people wanting to know if I actually believed that God made the sun stand still. So when it was finally the moment to respond, I said, first of all, I need you to know something. And it may be conflicting with your view of reality, but the sun actually always stands still. Oh, yeah, 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 we, we know that. So for, the sun, for God to make the sun stand still would actually just be in alignment with reality. Yeah, yeah, but the Bible says that God made the sun stand still. And, and, and I said, it's, it's not nearly as important whether God made the sun stand still or the earth stand still as it is, whether you have limited your thinking to finite possibilities, See, because if you're asking me, do I believe that that's possible? My answer is yes, because I assume everything, even the impossible, has a possibility, because I think that's the best kind of thinking, a thinking that's open to uncertainty and mystery. Said, so my question to you is, does your lack of belief in God actually limit your imagination and limit what might be possible? Because just a few decades ago, the fact that matter and energy were the same thing sounded like mythology, but now it's science. See, the, the idea that we are electricity wrapped up in skin would have sounded like a superstition, but we now know it's real. The idea that human beings can actually transfer their energy one from another. That would sound like metaphysics, but now we just know it's physics. And so maybe even belief in God is God's way of creating a space holder so that our minds are not shut to the possibility of the impossible. Don't let anyone ever tell you that believing in God makes you less intelligent. We haven't even begun to scratch the surface of God's genius. And I want you to know that you are designed in the image and likeness of God. There is genius inside of you. It's maybe latent genius. And I can tell you this, when you were two, you were a genius. When you were two, you were a linguistic savant and you were a creative genius. But maybe, just maybe, the patterns of this world that conform us to be the same shut you down, locked you in, and hold you captive. God wants to set you free through the transformation of the renewing of your mind so that you begin to have the mind of Christ. If Picasso came to me and said, give me 20 years of your life and I'll make you the greatest painter in the world, I would have said yes. If John Lennon came to me and said, give me 10 years of your life, I'll make you the greatest songwriter who ever lived, I would say yes. If Bobby Fischer had come to me and said, Erwin, I will make you the greatest chess master who's ever lived, but you have to give me 30 years of your life, I would have said yes because mastery in any domain to me would have been so rich of an experience and Jesus of Nazareth is looking at you and saying, follow me, open your soul to me and I will transfer my genius into your soul and teach you how to be fully human. I was in my back house during the quarantine and I um, started having a conversation with myself I I was back there and been months and months since we had been out. I had this thought, it's so weird that my entire life revolves around someone who lived 2000 years ago. I still can't believe that. Sometimes I'm shocked that I believe. And the moment I said that to myself, I can't believe that my whole life revolves around someone who lived 2000 years ago. I had another voice that said, yeah, but you can't deny that he's changed you. Now, well, that's a dilemma. And so the other voice says, so that's the irony. You can deny that Jesus is God, but you cannot deny that he changed you. How are you going to deal with that? And then this other, my head is incredibly crowded. And and then this other voice said to me, so then if Jesus isn't God, what changed you? And then I had this thought, if Jesus isn't God, I've been changed by the most powerful idea that has ever been given to humanity in all of human history. And then I started looking at the 40 years of research that I've done on genius, on human capacity, and I realized that Jesus never made a single list of geniuses ever. Mohammed is on lists. Buddha is on lists. But Jesus of Nazareth never makes a list of geniuses. So it sent me on a quest. I asked the question, does Jesus qualify as a genius? And if he does qualify as a genius, what exactly was his genius? And if he is a genius and I can identify that genius, why has no one ever identified that genius before? And as I pursued and studied and researched and looked and all of a sudden it hit me that to identify genius, there has to be a canvas. There has to be a domain. You only know Picasso is a genius because of his art. You only know Mozart is a genius because of his compositions and his music. You only know Fischer was a genius because of what he did on a chessboard. To identify genius, you have to see the domain. It has to play out in that domain. But Jesus' genius has a domain that we have been unaware of. See, the genius of Jesus is only revealed in the domain of the human soul. The genius of Jesus is that 2,000 years later, he's still changing human beings. The genius of Jesus is that he transfers into us the essence of who he is and makes us like him and makes us fully human. And here's the beauty of it. The frustrating thing about genius is that it's completely non-transferable, except when it comes to Jesus. Jesus. His genius is genius because it is completely transferable. When you open your life to Jesus, his genius envelops you. He teaches you to see life from a new perspective. He gives you a new mind. He allows you to see patterns and to recognize what brings life and what brings death. He allows you to begin to see the truth of light and darkness he allows you to move through life toward light. And really my only, my only thought that I wanna leave you with today is that you didn't know you're a creative genius. You didn't know you're a linguistic savant. You didn't know what you were when you were born. There has never been on this earth an ordinary human being born. But tragically, tragically, most of us die after having lived ordinary lives isn't it time for us to elevate to the highest level of living and instead of just trying to figure out how to not mess up how to not sin isn't it time for us to ask the question how can I live the life that God created me to live how can I live a life that only God could imagine Jesus did not die on the cross so that you could sin less Jesus died in the Christ so that you could live fully human and fully alive. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you had not you have not come to simply elevate the minimum standard. You've not come to minimize the damage that we do in our imperfection, you came to elevate us so that we would once again reflect the image and likeness of you. God, I pray that you would place in every single person here this extraordinary longing to live their life beyond their own capacity. That we would tap our souls into the life source of who you are as the creator of the universe. Jesus, I do not want to live at my level of thinking. I want to have the mind of Christ. But who has known the mind of God? But we have God's Spirit within us. But we have been given the mind of Christ. I pray, Jesus, that you would unlock your genius in us, that the world might see your beauty your wonder, your image in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. If you'd like to find out more, give or connect with us, visit our website, saint.church. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.